morning. Good morning and welcome. It is nice to see you all here this morning. As we begin this morning, I have a quick invitation for you. Just take a deep breath. We have been through the season of Lent and the bustling week of Holy Week where we have celebrated and remembered and commemorated and reflected on a whole lot of things. And if you're like me, that can leave you a little bit tired. So I invite you to sit and to relax and to hopefully receive something good this morning, uh, but mostly to rest and to hopefully receive a little bit of sustenance this morning as we begin. We are this morning now in the season of Easter. We are moving towards Pentecost. And today I want to explore one of the stories of the Exodus. This story somewhat mirrors where we are liturgically. Just as we are traveling towards Pentecost here, so too were the people of Israel as they departed the land of Egypt and began to make their way towards the Sinai and towards the first Pentecost event. Hear these words as I read to you from the 16th chapter of the book of Exodus. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I've heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall have your fill of bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine, flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as each of you needs, an omer to a person according to the number of persons, all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it as much as each needed, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much food, two omers apiece. When all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept until morning. So they put it aside until morning as Moses had commanded them. And it did not become foul. And there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. This is the portion, a portion of the story of God told for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Many of you know that my journey through seminary 
has been a rather extended one. I've done a bit of a patchwork job of making my way through three schools over the course of about 10 years. A couple of years ago, I realized that if I actually wanted to graduate, that I would have to kick it into a higher gear and actually get the work done. Since that realization, unfortunately, I have not taken a quarter off. I haven't really taken any time to reflect, to think about the path that I've been on, where I am on that path, and where I'm headed. I really haven't taken a lot of time to rest. Over these last few years, I've learned something that many of my mentors told me. Studying theology and going to seminary can unfortunately be one of the most draining things to do in a Christian life. For some people, this is because they learn new things about the Bible and history and theology and our faith that don't align with the ways that they've thought through most of their life. But most of us, for most of us, it's because there's not been a large emphasis in seminaries on individual and communal formation. There's been more of an uh, emphasis on institutional and theological knowledge. The season of school for me has been a season of spiritual dryness. I am, however, nearing the end. As I've come closer to this end, I've taken a little bit more time to actually reflect on the past few years and the different things that have contributed to this spiritual dryness that I've experienced. I've finally been able to ask myself a few questions. Where am I today and how exactly have I arrived here? Where is it that this path that I am on taking me? Some of the answers to these questions are deeply personal and unique to my own journey. But as I thought about them, I also realized that a lot of the answers to these questions are experiences that I share with you as my community of faith. And so I want to, this morning, ask these questions together. Where are we? How have we arrived here? And where exactly are we going? I was just in the second quarter of my renewed effort to finish school when we, as a world, went on lockdown for the first time. We, together, have now been through more than two years of trying to discern what to do with COVID, and this discernment has not always been pretty. We've had to decide whether our masks are effective and whether our decision to wear them or not is worth the ridicule from the other side, whether to go into public places, how safe we feel seeing or hugging our loved ones whether to have ourselves vaccinated, whether to reopen a church, whether to have our children vaccinated, and whether to have ourselves vaccinated once again. All of these decisions have been made so much easier by the voices that we hear on Fox News and CNN. And speaking of these news and the left and the right, where are we here? Where are we when it comes to racial equity and national security in our national and global economy? Where are we with election integrity, personal rights, and general welfare of our population? These kinds of questions are so loaded now that I'm not even sure that in a community of faithful people that we can unpack them productively without doing harm to one another. 
More locally here in San Antonio, we finally just had our first real fiesta in quite a while. Many of us have received letters in the mail in the last couple of weeks from the appraisal district. These have brought new pain into our lives, and some of us have received notices of rent increases. Some of us in this community, thank heaven, are nearing the end of the school year and maybe even the end of a school career. Even more locally, where are we and where have we been here in this community of faith? We've both renewed energy and renewed worried worries as we come back from COVID. Are the numbers in this room where they're supposed to be? Are there enough people here? Are there enough dollars in those giving towers? Many of us in this community are grieving the loss of our loved ones. People that have influenced and poured into our lives are no longer here. As Dinah said, we've also received news this week that Pastor Holly has been appointed to a new church. Between Pastor Holly and Pastor Dinah, some of our most familiar and most trusted voices are not going to be here much longer. Where we are as a community, and I imagine where many of us are personally, is a place that's full of both the energy of anticipation of what is coming and the exhaustion of the last few seasons. After asking these questions of myself, I've come to yet another realization, one that probably should have been a little bit more obvious to me in the beginning. My spiritual dryness is not just because of my school schedule. The truth is that the school that I attend has made significant efforts to look after the shalom of me and my fellow students. My spiritual dryness is rather the effect of several years of the exhausting events in my personal life, the exhausting events that we have experienced together communally and even globally. If you, like me, have been feeling dry and confused and exhausted, here's what I have for you today. That's okay. This is a normal reaction to the world that we live in. You've been living in a world in which you've had to make a lot of very important decisions, some of them with life or death ramifications, and you've had to think about these things over and over and over again for a very long time. You live in a world in which you know that bad things are happening to innocent people at home and abroad, and you don't often have the ability to change those things. You've been living in a world where even discussing these things is contentious and chaotic. It's okay to feel like you need a nap. After a few days in the desert, the people of Israel might have been feeling somewhat similarly. They might have even been asking these same questions of where are we and how did we get here and where is it that we are going? At the beginning of chapter 16, from which we read, the people of Israel have just, in a, just arrived in a place called the Wilderness of Sin. Now, this is a Hebrew name for location in the desert, and it's not to be confused with our English word sin. There is no connection there. 
In this wilderness, the people complain of their hunger. They grumble against those that have been called to lead them out into this desert. They accuse Moses and Aaron of bringing them into the desert to die. From the scripture we read, we know how God responds to this grumbling. He rains down quail in the evening and the bread of heaven in the morning, providing sustenance. And even more than that, he gives the people a command to rest. This is the very first Bible, the very first instance in the Bible in which God actually tells the people to take a day of rest. The first 15 chapters of this book of Exodus tell us why these people might need these gifts. They tell the story of the people's liberation from Egypt. It's an amazing story and one that most of us are familiar with and several of us remembered last week. But I want you to imagine for a moment what it would have been like to experience those events for yourself. Place yourself in the story not as somebody that might have known Moses and Aaron and could see what was coming, but imagine yourself as one of those members of the masses, one of the regular folks that might not have been privy to the inside information. Imagine being a descendant of a people that had been enslaved for 400 years and having a man that you don't know show up and pick a fight with the most powerful force on earth and say that it's on your behalf. Imagine those plagues unfolding around you. Imagine the shock and the trauma of a bloody river and bodies piling up of livestock and of people. Imagine having to decide whether painting the door frames of your home with the blood of a freshly slaughtered lamb is the most effective way to ensure that the plague does not reach your home. That you'd have to do something so publicly to keep you and your family safe and alive. Imagine departing in the night as the Egyptian people wake and wail as they realize that they have lost children. Imagine the terror as that Egyptian army bears down on you from behind with nowhere to go ahead and the astonishment you'd feel as a sea splits before you and you travel through on dry land. I imagine that you might be a bit confused. A bit confused about what had happened and where you were and what exactly you were supposed to do next. I imagine that as you made your way deeper into that desert, you would wonder where your sustenance would come from. I imagine that if it was me, I would probably start to complain. When we read this story, it's easy to say something like, they had just witnessed all those plagues. They'd witnessed the splitting of a sea, the swallowing of an army. Why would they grumble and complain? Why don't they trust that they'll be taken care of? I think the reason why is that they're tired. They're dry. They're literally in the desert. They're in the wilderness following someone that they aren't completely familiar with and hearing loud voices from their peers call for a return to Egypt, a return to those golden days of slavery. In this story, as those people set out into the desert, God hears the complaints and the murmurings, the grumbling, and God responds. God responds not with anger at the distrust, but with grace. 
God responds by making sure that every single person in that caravan has exactly what they need to survive the day and continues to ensure that they have that through a journey that will take them into the promised land 40 years later. God provides for them. Over the course of the last couple of years, my spiritual dryness has been slowly increasing. Right before Lent started this year, I decided that I needed to find a new way to intentionally cultivate my connection with God and my connection with this community. I'd not had a regular rhythm of prayer since I started school again, and so I decided that I needed to try something a little new, try a new rhythm. I chose a guide to follow and started to pray every morning when I got to work. I tried to do it on my days off as well, but with the five-year-old, that was a little bit more of a challenge. What I noticed in these last several weeks of this practice is this. In this prayer guide, there's a time set aside to daily reflect on that for which I am grateful. I found myself modifying this time a little bit and using a question that I had first heard from Pastor Dinah several years ago. The question is, what is saving you today? What is saving you today? Sometimes the answer to that question for me is a memory of the big things that God has done in my past. Things that seem to me to be as big as those plagues may have seemed to Israel. But most often, my answer to this question of what is saving me today are much smaller moments. They're things that might be compared to an omer of manna. Things that sustain me for a day and ensure that I get to the next day. Things like a smile from my son after he scores a goal in soccer, or a hug from my wife after a rough day, food and drink shared with a friend, or an opportunity to share love with someone in pain. Sometimes it's even a new piece of wisdom that I pick up in school. These moments are what save me most often. These moments are my manna. In the book of Leviticus, the people are told to count the days from the Passover until they reach the 50th day. On our calendar, it looks like counting 49 days from Easter. This 50th day is the day of Pentecost. Our Jewish brothers and sisters call this period between these days counting the Omer. And as they count... They remember God's daily provision for them. In the story that we read, the people aren't quite sure yet where they're headed. But because we are the ones reading the book, we know that they are on their way to become the covenant people of God at Sinai on that first day of Pentecost. As we today move forward... As we move past our solemn Lenten season and past the ecstatic celebrations of Easter, as we move past different appointments, different worries, different anticipations, I have an invitation for you. I invite you to count the Omer. Each day, count something that is saving your life. Ask yourself each day, what is saving me today? What is sustaining my life? What are the things that God has done? 
What are the things that God is doing, the things that God has given and continues to give that bring you to your next new day? Let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, creator of this universe, who gives us life and sustains our lives and brings us together on this day and carries us forward into each new day. I ask, God, that you would help us to see the things that you do to save us. Help us to pay attention and to notice the small moments that sustain us, the small moments that carry us into the next ones. Help us take the time to focus on those moments. We bless you, God, for your provision. We bless you for the manna, for the water from the rock, and for days of rest that you give us. May we actually receive those gifts. Pray these things in your name, in the name of your Son, and through your Spirit. Amen.